Uh, well, listen, it's great to have you back for our last one of our series of evangelism. Uh, if you've not uh, turned up uh, yet, um, if you've been away for, say, three weeks, uh, this is a quick summary of uh, where we've got to. Um, we're calling this Ready uh, for two reasons. One is I've written most of this material off from a book called Ready, um, which I put up there. Um, it's, it's, it's a fairly short book on evangelism. Um, uh, and, w- and what's 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 going on here is that the author is trying to not so much tell us ha- what to do when it comes to evangelism, but rather, I mean, he does come on to that later on in the book, but rather think through what is our role when it comes to evangelism. So why do this? Why look at this stuff at Sunday school? There's a number of reasons. Uh, firstly, we're, we're in James this term in our uh, Sunday sermons, and James says, uh, "Be doers of the word and not hearers only." So James absolutely wants us to cling hold of the word of God. He's so important. It's the word that brings life. But he says there's more to the word than just being hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. And in that sense, we're trying to, it's a series on being quite practical, trying to put into practice what the scriptures say. Uh, We thought through a bit how evangelism does matter. It matters for a number of reasons. Uh, Firstly, just see the scope of Uh, the scriptures we have uh, Adam and Eve uh, and the fool and the whole world is cursed but then God picks one man Abraham and through his family he chooses to bless the whole world he says through you all nations will be blessed so we've got the people of Israel their role is to bless the entire world and as we see that from old old covenant we see uh, the world coming in to see Israel new covenant we see Israel or the church going out into the world living amongst the world to share the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we've also considered how uh, people's eternal destiny really matters. Do you remember Matthew? Uh, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, it's, better, it's more important uh, your eternal destiny than your arm or your eye. Um, do you remember how in uh, Rich Man and Lazarus, the rich man is in eternal conscious torment forever. He can't escape it. We thought about God's compassion. Uh, how, again, Old Testament, uh, God has compassion on Nineveh. The enemy of God's people says, should I not have compassion on them? They don't know their left hand from their right hand. And New Testament, we see the Lord Jesus Christ having compassion on the crowds who are like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and helpless. And then we've seen, haven't we, in Ephesians, how it's all for God's glory. Our salvation, the salvation of the world is for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we've considered how, uh, and this may be the, the newer stuff, I guess, we're not all evangelists. I think often we feel the pressure to be evangelists. Uh, the New Testament, that word is used three times. Um, Acts 20, uh, Philip, one of the seven, called an evangelist. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, Timothy's told to do the work of an evangelist. Implication, not everyone is. Uh, Ephesians 4, uh, God has given apostles, prophets, pastor, teachers, and evangelists as gifts to the church. In other words, not everyone is an evangelist. And we've all got a role to play, but we're prob- most of us probably aren't capital E evangelists. And yet at the same time, we all have a role in God's mission. Uh, we are, we've all been called to give an answer when we're asked. We're called to be ready, hence the title of the book. We're called to be ready. So Colossians 4, know how to answer people. Be ready. Uh, 1 Peter 3, be prepared to give an answer or defence of your faith. And how does that come about? Well, it comes about that we're all called... Um, to live in the world. I put down some verse references there. We're called to live in the world. Remember, Jesus, the friend of sinners. Um, Apostle Paul, he had friends who were unbelievers. 
He had clear, had good relationships with them. And so we're called to live in the world. And the first danger, therefore, is that um, as believers, we live in isolated Christian bubbles. We live in holy huddles. Um, we live in fortresses. And, and we don't know any unbelievers at its worst thing. Oh, just let the world burn. I don't care. I'm safe. Who cares about anyone else? That's one danger. The second thing is we've been called to live differently from the world. And this will both uh, create opportunities for us to speak as we're living in and amongst people. But also as we speak, as we live, I beg your pardon, we will adorn the message, will adorn the fact that being a Christian is a beautiful thing. Now what I was doing is a brief discussion uh, really following from last week, but um, at Focus this this Thursday, we're, well, we're doing a series this whole year about following Jesus in different areas of our lives. And this Thursday at Focus, we thought about following Jesus um, with all that you have, in other words, with money. And the question was put to the students um, this, if someone got hold of your bank statement and they looked through it over the last three or four months, would they be able to tell that you're a Christian from the way you spent their money, from the way, not their money, the way you spent your money. Would they be able to tell that? And in, in a similar vein, I just want to, but, but more generally, I want you to discuss this, um, or maybe write it down. Write down three ways your unbelieving friends would say that you're different from, from them. Your friends, maybe your neighbours, maybe your colleagues. How would they say that you are different from them? Um, so write that down. ABC. The, the, the New Testament assumes that we will be different. So write down three ways your uh, friends, neighbours, colleagues or unbelievers would say you're different from them. And then uh, question two, out of ten, how easy is it to answer question one? Okay, I'll give you a couple of minutes for that. Go. Okay, I'm going to bring us together there. Um, it's... it's it's quite hard to answer ABC without being like a Pharisee on the street corner saying, look at my, look, look how godly I am. Really, question to you, I wonder how easy it was to answer that question. And I just want us to think through for ourselves. You know, t- t- I mean, one challenge is we're not living in the world, but one, another challenge is, yeah, we are living in the world, but actually no one can see any difference in, in, our, in our lives. Um, and sometimes that would be because I guess we're really trying to be, oh, look, I'm, I'm just like you, being a Christian, I'm, I'm just like you. Um, uh, you know, we the right intention, but we completely miss the point. We're called to be holy in the world. Now, we're not saying I'm not saying evangelism isn't important, or we shouldn't be doing it. The issue at stake is how do we do it? It's a question of method. We're not all called to be evangelists, but I guess my suspicion is that what we are called to do, uh, we quite often fall quite short. I certainly do anyway. So one is we just don't know many unbelievers at all. Uh, secondly, we do unbelievers, but we're not living distinctively amongst them. And I guess, thirdly, people might not even know that we're Christians. I guess that would be the first hurdle we, we, we often fall at. Now, some possible objections to this sort of method evangelism. So, well, surely um, it's our fault then. If we haven't told people specifically, explicitly the gospel, it's our fault if people end up uh, in God's judgment. So I just want to think about that. It's quite a powerful argument. So just there's a question I think they just discuss un- again. To what extent are you responsible for the salvation of the people in Leeds? I'll just give you one minute. Have a discussion about that. To what extent are you responsible, or maybe us as a church, are we responsible for the salvation of people in Leeds? Go for it. One minute. Okay, let's gather together. Let's gather together. Okay. 
So we're not going to have a sort of big discussion, but just, just to, I mean, this, this is a, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because I guess the answer is basically, you know, to some extent, um, but, you know, the word sums a lot of heavy lifting there. Uh, the reality is we have get, been given responsibilities by God, haven't we, for our conduct amongst uh, unbelievers. But on the other hand, there'll be no one who gets judged who doesn't deserve uh, to be judged. Who can say, uh, again, the New Testament talks about people are without excuse. So God's judgment will be right. So the various things we could say, uh, what is helpful to think about there is ultimately, in the end, in the end, uh, God is sovereign, God is in charge about who is saved. And what let's do now is just briefly look up these verses. Okay, so again, just quickly in your tables, look up these three verses. And in many ways, I've given the answer to the question. So God is sovereign. Just look how these three different verses, look at what they say about uh, God's role in our salvation. So I'll give you four minutes on that. Okay, quite specific. I know we've got lots of stuff to get through. Four minutes. That's a minute and 20 seconds per verse. Okay, um, great. Listen, I hate just basically seeing those verses. Look, God is in charge of who is saved. So uh, it's, it's the role of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So John 6, 39, the Father chooses and Jesus dies for those who have been chosen uh, and he's 100% successful in his mission uh, in his job um, again Ephesians 1 chosen in love before we've been made it's completely gracious it's nothing that we've done again 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 I'll just read this last night maybe didn't all get there who saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus uh, God's, God is totally sovereign who will be saved and it is totally of grace. He decides what will happen and he's chosen some to be saved and he has not chosen all to be saved. So we need to get that clear in our minds. But the question becomes, well, what, what is the point then of evangelism? What is the point of uh, sharing our faith? What's the point in even giving an answer for the reason of hope that we have when actually it'll be God will totally determine. We can just leave it uh, up to him. Well, the answer is our second point is that God has also chosen uh, means or methods by which people will be saved. So I guess classically we see the preaching of his words, but also what we've been seeing in these seminars, the, the godly witness and the speaking of his people. So that's to say God doesn't just zap people. He doesn't just decide you and then you and then you and then you just um, completely unrelated to the work of his people um he doesn't evangelize us through uh, messages in the sky you know writing from the clouds that's not how he evangelizes us does he um he he has methods he has methods and again let me read something out here so ephesians 1 what, uh, 11 13 for sake of time don't, don't look it up but uh, let me read this out so remember ephesians 1 4 to 5 we've heard about how god we've been chosen in advance but then how does that choosing come to fruition? Ephesians 1 verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having, predesti- having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And there's a key bit, verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation so chosen before 
but included when uh, you heard the message of truth, when you heard the gospel. In other words, God's eternal, uh, his eternal choice becomes a time-bound reality when people hear the word of God. So, uh, again, the question being, why bother evangelising if God is sovereign? And that's, that's a discussion that actually happens amongst evangelists all the time. In fact, very often you see a tendency in people who are naturally evangelists to forget the sovereignty of God. Um, not all evangelists by any means. Um, but uh, very famously, um, in the 18th century, two very, like, two very famous evangelists, so uh, John Wesley, we often sing a lot of uh, Wesleyan hymns, often there he's written by his brother, but John Wesley, very famous evangelist, and uh, Whitford, another uh, very famous evangelist, um, evangelising around the s- same time, and both really great evangelists, it should be said. But just to caricature them, uh, Wesley's basically saying, no, no, it's up to us to do evangelism. And Whitfield saying, no, no, God is entirely sovereign. And this is um, what Whitfield writes to Wesley. I think it's quite helpful. Um, uh, this is what he says to him. So remember, Wesley's objection will be, well, no evangelism will be done if we actually believe God is totally sovereign. To which he replies, written down on your sheet, oh, dear sir, what kind of reasoning, or rather sophistry, is this? Has not God, who has appointed salvation for a certain number, appointed also the preaching of the word as a means to bring them to, to it. Does anyone hold election in any other sense? And if so, how is preaching needless to them that are elected when the gospel is designated by God himself to be the power of God unto their eternal salvation? And since we know not who are elect and who are reprobate, we are to preach promiscuously to all. Um, people said, uh, people in your church promiscuous i normally say no but if you're promiscuous in this sense uh this is this is one people promiscuously showing our faith wonderful can you see his point uh Whitfield is saying that not only does god decide who is decide who is saved he also decides how people are saved now in the whitfield wesley debate um uh they're talking about evangel the, the, the role of the evangelist the capital e evangelist which he said sort of most of us probably aren't Catholic evangelists but we have been given the means by which to share our faith again Colossians 4 1 Peter 3 we're to live godly lives among in and amongst the world that they see what we're doing and then they ask questions and we answer and we make the most of every opportunity and so what Whitfield says applies to preaching it's God's means to save also applies to our godly godly living living amongst people um, provoking questions and answering questions God's means to save and that should be a relief that should be a relief to us because what it means is that uh, uh, it, well, what, it, what it doesn't mean is this if I don't believe in God's sovereignty it otherwise means that everyone's eternal destiny who I encounter every day is on me so the Amazon delivery driver who turns up, if I don't share the gospel with him, I've got blood on my hands. The person at the bus stop, if I don't tell them the gospel, it's my fault that they're going to hell. If I buy something from Facebook Marketplace and I have a brief exchange, it's my fault if I didn't uh, uh, add in the gospel. If I did add in the gospel, um, then I've got a clear conscience. They, they are not the means that God has given us. Not so, don't do that. If you're inclined to do that thing, fantastic. But that is not... Uh, the way that God has ordained us to share our faith. 
But again, that's a movie we don't do anything, does it? Come back to our probably key verse here. Colossians 4, verse 5 to 6. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. So we do need to be wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Have salt seasoned conversation, answering everyone. So how do we go about doing this? Well, it's, it's, it's really a life's work because it's a life's work to grow in godliness. It's a life's work to grow in compassion. It's a life's work to grow in wisdom. Um, so uh, you know, the, what I'm going to say now is just a few little snippets of things to think through and to grow in. Um, number one, uh, listen well. Listen well. Um, the interest of time, I'm not going to go through this too quickly, but if you look at the Apostle Paul, again, before he speaks... He listens well. His message is adapted differently to different groups. I should probably should have done this in chronological order. But most famously, um, Paul in uh, Acts 17, he's speaking to those in Athens. And um, they're very... Well, let me, let me just read out. Acts 17, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship... I found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So what we see is he did look around. He observed them carefully. He listened to them. And then he explained the message, the gospel message in terms that they could understand. The point is that he observed them. He listened to them. And we see again this sort of difference in Pisidian Antioch. Um, he's in the synagogue. He constantly refers to the word of God. So um, chapter 13, he says, um, as it is written, as God has said, so it is stated, as the prophets have said, again, 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 he goes back to uh, the word of God, that, that these people he's evangelizing, so God-fearers and Jews, that, that, that he knows that they'll take that as an authority so he can listen to them, he can talk to them, having listened to them and knowing where they're coming from. But in Lystra, again, uh, a bit later, it's more like the sort of uh, more like Athens, he appeals to them from common grace. He says, "Yet has not, um, so yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons." He sort of he's looking for an. He says, you know, what, "What do you understand? What's my way in for the gospel here?" Now again, we're not all the apostle Paul. We're not all evangelists, but it does show us, doesn't it, that it pays to know our audience so let me ask you this when you're spending time with unbelievers whoever they might be do you listen to them do you ask questions yes you want to tell them what you believe but are you eagerly trying to understand what they believe so you can share the gospel in terms that they will understand so uh, what are their assumptions do they assume that people are basically good do they assume that the world is doomed uh, do they think of God as good? Do they think of God as bad? Do they think of God as being uh, non-existent or, di- or indifferent? Do you know who you're talking to? So listen well. Secondly, removing non-gospel barriers. Uh, again, quite a famous verse here, but um, I mean, it's, it's in a section really. Uh, so the context is the Apostle Paul's basically saying, look, I'm free to live uh, how I want. As long as I'm obedient to God, I c- I'm free to live how I want. But then goes on to say, look, I love people so much that I'm willing to be like them and to remove any non-gospel issue 
that will make the gospel difficult to understand. So he says, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Let me just illustrate you to you this being done this not being done well and this being done well so not being done well so at our school um, so our school our children's school there was a sports day and but I don't I still haven't quite worked out why but there are actually loads of Christians at our school loads of Christian parents at our school and sports day loads of parents were there and uh, there's one guy a friend of ours what he decided would be fun to do is bring along this really really posh cream tea really posh cream tea like scones I can't remember what that sort of clotted that lovely posh clotted cream is you know the best jam like in my mind's eye he also bought some champagne now I don't know if I, don't know if I just misremembered it but basically it's a lovely lovely spread and um, and he was very generous with it um, but what you tended to find is that a lot of Christian a lot of the Christian parents are actually pretty middle class and uh, I would say the school generally isn't that middle class. And what one of the mums did who wasn't a Christian came up and said, I'm going to be like one of the church mums. I'm going to be like, and with a slight sort of snigger and, and a bit of a mocking tone. And you see what had happened there. Now, like, this guy did his cream tea, like, he's a total legend, one of the best evangelists I know. He probably slightly short-sighted in fact I don't think any of us spotted it until we saw what this woman said her point of understand, her misunderstanding was that to be a Christian means to be uh, middle class or to be a Christian means having posh cream teas isn't that a total disaster if that's what people uh, end up um, thinking let, let, let me give you a more positive example you might think it's a bit controversial but uh, that's how you get people listening. Um, there was a Christian summer camp, um, one of these uh, cipher camps or CPS camps, I don't know if you've heard of them, but basically you take uh, a load of, uh, give, give a load of kids a really, really great Christian holiday, give them fun, do some Bible teaching as well. The idea is for church kids, but also for uh, children who don't go to church as well. Maybe they go to the church youth group, but not Christians. And it was the very last day, and... Um, uh, dad turned up to pick up his uh, daughter and daughter wasn't quite ready to come out so we got chatting to some of the leaders and six or seven leaders were standing around and he got chatting them very friendly and um, he got out his cigarettes and said oh does anyone want a fag and he just went around one leader after another leader all saying no, 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 no and finally got to the overall leader and he was like yeah sure I'd love one, thank you and um, what, why did he do that? I don't think he was particularly a smoker, but why did he do that? And he was concerned that what, he was, what the group was communicating to this non-Christian dad is that to be a Christian is, is, is to be a non-smoker, or Christianity is about not smoking. Now, you could quibble with the details. You might say, actually, well, I wouldn't have done that. Fine. But the point is, is this guy wanted to make sure that the gospel was the only barrier, uh, or, or the Lord Jesus is the only barrier uh, to receiving the gospel, not about um, other things. So, listen well, remove uh, non-gospel uh, barriers, and thirdly, speaking. So you've listened well, you know who you're talking to, um, you've removed non-gospel barriers, you spend time with unbelievers, 
And then the question comes, what do you say? What do you say? Now, the question is probably not going to be, please tell me, how did you become a Christian? I love asking people that question. It's a great way of getting to know someone well. It's a great way of just reminding yourself what the gospel is. But non-Christians don't normally ask those questions of Christians. They might say something more like this. Like, why do you do this? Or why do you think this? So why, why don't you go out and get, uh, get drunk with us? Why do you always go to church every single Sunday? Um, now, my experience, often the best way to answer that question, though, is to answer it through your testimony. I don't mean ignore the question. Uh, no, I'm not going to answer that question. I'll tell you what you should have asked me. That's a bit sort of... Well, it's, not respecting the questioner, isn't it? But very often is. Actually, the reason we know these things is because we become Christians. Well, that is the reason. And it's very often to tell, very often to help answer, it will help answer the question if we tell people how we became Christians. Um, so here's a few thoughts about how we can answer people's questions. How do we do the Colossians 4 thing? How do we do the 1 Peter 3 thing? Here's suggestions. So firstly, seek to share your testimony. So uh, when, why did you become a Christian? After all, you are the person who they know. You're probably the only serious Christian that they know. So how did you become a Christian? It will make sense for you to tell them how you became a Christian. They can picture that. You're a tangible person they can know. But secondly, seek to share the gospel. So uh, share your testimony. That's quite subjective. But share the gospel. That is objective. Yes, you have believed in something in your own personal way but the thing you've believed in is an objective truth so include who is jesus uh what or why uh the cross uh thirdly then answer the question so what question um, have they asked you make sure you answer that question so you're connecting now being a christian uh to what they've asked you and then finally if you're feeling uh confident um ask a question back so what, maybe, what do you make of Jesus or something like that? What do you think about that? So what I want us to do now, just briefly, I want us to pair up and I want us to give that um, uh, practice, okay? So um, just got uh, maybe eight, eight minutes or so to go. I want to pair up on your tables. Um, so I will all roughly in sixes. Make a three if you're not a number. And one of you pretend to be someone who is interested in Christianity and is asking questions. And the other person is going to play themselves. I want to ask and answer the following questions, okay? So, um, why do you go to church every week? Why do you always stop drinking after one or two drinks? Why don't you believe in sex outside of marriage, okay? Now, listen, I'm putting you on the spot here, and this is hard, and we're going to be a bit embarrassed to do it, right? Agreed? Yeah, nod your head. Yeah, good, okay. But this is the safe zone, okay? Um, <laughs> So, I mean, in one sense it's not because we think, oh, all my other Christian friends will realise what a bad Christian I am. Look, we love each other. We're saved by grace. And this is a real chance to encourage each other and to give it a go, okay? Um, just ignore everyone. Give it a go. If you're, if you're on table with, like, an elder, then you can get them to uh, set the example. Or an intern. You can pick on the intern. Sorry, uh, Rachel and uh, Ethan and Roy, who I can't see. Sorry, just Rachel. Um, you're, right, you're on table with, with uh, Peter, so that's fine. Um, but and, and just try and use... That method. So seek to share your testimony, uh, share something of the gospel, answer the question, then ask a question back. Ready? Scared? Yeah? Give, give it a go, okay? Um, I'll give you seven minutes. Maybe try and do uh, a question for each uh, person. Someone ask a question, answer, and then 
and then switch around. Ready, steady, go. Let me, let me just say, well done for giving it a go. And lots of talking going on. I wonder much how much talking was doing the exercise and how much was talking about the exercise. But I trust it was mostly doing it. Um, just on, on, why ask questions at the end? Again, just think of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember how often he used to ask questions? He goes back on the front foot. People ask him questions. And he goes back on the front foot. Questions can be very, very helpful. Um, what is success in doing this? What does it mean to be successful? Um, success is not your friend's conversion. Do you remember, God is sovereign. Uh, if your uh, colleague or whoever is asking this question, if your neighbour, if your friend's asking these questions and you're giving them answers about the gospel and they don't get converted, um, that is not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to live uh, a godly life and to give answers. So your, your, your friend might not get converted. They might not even be sympathetic. In fact, they might end up hostile. That is not your responsibility. Your responsibility is faithfulness. Um, uh, and it's worth saying as well, sometimes the topic they're asking you a question on is so loaded, is so heated, that you might not even get a hearing. Again, Lord Jesus Christ, he didn't answer directly every single question um, that got asked to him. And we're going to find this, and we're going to find it more and more and more as our society gets more and more hostile towards Christianity. So sometimes there will be a time um, for being... Uh, wise in what we say but we always want to witness to the Lord Jesus Christ we always want to speak of him even if we don't directly ask the person's uh, question Um, and it's also worth saying that sometimes we'll get asked a question and we actually get now I'm going to meet this absolute head on and I know it's going to explode and that's okay but what I'm going to do is that although my um, although the question that's been asked my answer is to their eyes being completely unacceptable I'm going to adorn my answer with my godly life as well and that's when we go back don't we to uh, 1 Peter 2 that we saw earlier on that though they accuse you of doing wrong very often Christians are accused of not being boring or insignificant or insignificant or outdated we're accused of being immoral that they were accused of doing what's wrong and saying what's wrong actually the quality of our lives will reinforce our message and through that, we are promised that some people uh, will be saved. Listen, that's pretty much the end of that series. If you've got questions, then do come and uh, grab me um, before or after the service. Um, if you're finding these conversations are going well, but you think, actually, I'm not getting any further, then, but, then invite people along to church. It's often said that the church is the best evangelistic event because people uh, hear God's word preached but they also see a whole community of believers uh, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. They can't put it down to your slightly um, eccentric personality. There's something greater going on here uh, than just one person. So invite people along to church. If people have got more and more questions, invite them along to the 321 course. Again, it's happening tomorrow night uh, and the next two Sundays after that as well. It's not too late to sign up. Um, and remember, you know, we're putting on other events as well. Um, but don't just rely on those things. Uh, go out into the world live godly lives uh, seek every opportunity and when you're asked speak let's close in prayer Father in heaven we thank you for helping us think through how we can be uh, obedient to your command to live amongst uh, the world 
and be distinct and godly in behaviour and to take every opportunity to speak for the Lord Jesus Christ. Please, would you provoke our friends, our colleagues, our neighbours, our family, just others we bump into, to ask us questions. Please help us to be prepared to give answers. Please help us do that with courage. Please help us to do that trusting that you are the ultimate evangelist. You are the one who changes people's hearts. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you will lose none that the Father has given to you. Give us help, we pray. And uh, we thank you so much for the privilege of being your ambassadors in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.